This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, August 11, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Bristol area, Sarah Abbott, Bruce Baldwin, I'm Buster Only, working from New York this morning. And I must say, you know, this whole week has been an example of why the podcast producers here are so good. And I, I, you know, I I guess Taylor's not here today, but I'm going to compliment him in his absence uh, because my schedule has been crazy this week. Uh, yeah, I was in San Diego on Monday morning after a Sunday night game. Uh, and then after that, when I got back to Montana, I drove across the country with my dog, Quinny. So we did, we did Wednesday's podcast from a rest area. And where was I? Minnesota. And then we're doing the, this uh, podcast this morning from New York. So I got to say, Sarah and Bruce, thank you so much. You guys are so great. And thanks for rolling with my BS. It's always a fun time. I personally love when we do podcasts from rest stops and airports. It keeps life spicy, you know, or ballparks. I mean, the last couple of weeks have been crazy. Like we saw each other. We did one in person. In fact, I think we, this is right, right? The last six podcasts have been in six different spots. Love that. We're a podcast on the go. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were in Baltimore and they're bouncing around and yeah, it's been it's been crazy. I think I did one for Montana in the last six weeks or last two weeks. So I, again, I, I appreciate your guys' effort in this one. What a series in Baltimore that we saw this week. Maybe a preview of the American League Championship Series. You remember what happened earlier this week? You had the Orioles with a big lead, then the Astros started to come back, and Kyle Tucker was at the plate in the ninth inning. Tucker sends one to right field. Back goes Santan there, all the way back and gone. He did it! He did it! A grand slam in the ninth. What an bet by Kyle Tucker! So he hits a grand slam there, and the Astros win that game. Well, fast forward to last night. Ryan Mountcastle helped the Orioles build the lead. Bottom of the seventh inning. Pitch. This is driven deep left field, racing back, and it is gone. Mounty goes yard, and the Orioles tack on two more back-to-back extra base hits. That call from WBAL. Well, in the ninth inning, again, the Astros were threatening. They had the bases loaded, and this is what happened. Here he comes. Popped up. Henderson's there. He's got it, and the Orioles win. Ball game. Birds win five to four, and they've now gone 76 consecutive series without getting swept. So final score there, five to four. Again, this is these two teams that face off in the postseason. That's going to be interesting. The Guardians and the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays had the bases loaded in the ninth inning with the Guardians leading four to three. This is what happened. The next offering from Stefan. Got him with a high heat. Wow, what a battle. Stretch time at the corner of Carnegie in Ontario. Cleveland 4, Toronto 3. That, of course, the voice of the great Tom Hamilton. The Red Sox and the Royals. Alex Verdugo had such a difficult time last weekend. Self-sabotage, showing up late to the ballpark. Well, he drove in the Red Sox versus run in the bottom of the fourth inning yesterday. The pitch from Marsh, line drive, left field, pretty well hit. Taylor backpedals near the track to make the catch. Casas coming to the plate, and he will score. 
As the throw is cut off by the third baseman, Garcia. And the Red Sox have a 1-0 lead on a sacrifice fly by Alex Verdugo. That from WEI 93.7 FM. The Phillies and the Nationals. Nick Castellanos had an excellent game. The source are ready and delivers. And it's swung on, hit deep. Left field. Garrett back at the track at the wall. Look it up. It's gone. Castellanos with a two-run home run. What an at-bat. That from Sports Radio 94 WIP, the final score was 6-2. Of course, the night before, we saw the no-hitter from Michael Lorenzen. We're going to be talking about that coming up. Uh, Bryce Harper left Thursday night's game against the Nationals with what the team called mid-back spasms. They say he's being evaluated. The Tigers faced the Twins, and Riley Green gave the Tigers a lead in the bottom of the sixth. Fly ball, right field off the bat of Green. Way back in right center, and... Wow! As deep a drive as you will see to right center in this ballpark. Number 10 for Riley Green. Tigers take a 1-0 lead in the sixth. That from 97.1, the ticket, the final score there was 3-0. And how about the Pittsburgh Pirates? They gave the Braves some trouble this week, adding on to their lead on Thursday night in the bottom of the seventh inning. Pagaro lines one into center base hit, and that scores Hayes. Davis stops at second, and Pagaro comes through again with a clutch two-out hit to put the Pirates up 7-4. to four. That from 93.7, the fan. And future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw was back on the mound for the Dodgers after being activated off the injured list. Here's part of what we saw last night. Strikes out in his first at-bat against Kershaw. And the first of the night for Kershaw. And a 2-2 from Kershaw. It is a curve that came to the back door to get him with a little bit of help from Eric Backus. Tonight's plate umpire. Out of the 1-2 comes home. Montero watches strike three. It's another changeup. Uh-oh. Kershaw's got a new toy. And the Dodgers went on to win that game. Sarah, what else you got? All right, Buster. Well, Bruce Taylor and I had a very busy college game day recording session yesterday we recorded some previews ahead of time the pack 12 one is out now one last ride for the pack 12 so be sure to check that out wherever you are listening to this and also check us out on youtube dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites that's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch on Baseball Tonight. Carl Ravitch, the Ravi Train. Uh, of course, he's going to be in City Field this weekend. We've got the Braves. We've got the Mets. Ravi, how you doing? I'm doing really well. It's a good week. We've got uh, Braves-Mets. We've got Little League World Series. There was a great article I just saw about uh, Miller and Westberg and how they faced off uh, when they were in Little League and now they were in high school together and then college in the SEC and now there's a chance they face each other in Seattle uh, over the weekend. So the, the connections between Little League and then as you move up and now to see two guys like that in the major leagues is really cool. And of course, uh, Michael Harris wearing the microphone on our game is going to be cool. So I'm, yeah, we're in, a, we're in a good spot. It's a good, good time of year. So tell me your travel schedule. The Ravi train is going to go from City Field. You're going to go directly to Williamsport. Are you going to take a couple of days before heading down there? Uh, I get uh, one day. So Sunday, City Field, Monday off, Tuesday drive. Wednesday, we start the Little League World Series. Um, I, I think one of the big stories going in is going to be the fact that a team from Cuba is there, which is going to be really great. Um, there's, a, there's a girl that plays for the Nolensville Tennessee team who apparently has similar skills to Monet Davis. And I saw where Monet Davis reached out to her. She's uh, she's a terrific ball player. She's, she's the pitcher. She's the fastest. And I believe the tallest player on the team. So look, Williamsport brings a whole bunch of uh, stories, you know, going in. And then the ones that, that kind of happen while we're there are incredible. So it's just uh, this is my favorite. I'd say next to the postseason, this is my favorite time of year. And this might be uh, everybody's favorite day today because today is National Kevin Brown Day. <laughs> of course, it's the return of Orioles after Kevin Brown to his play-by-play duties. That according to a, a website in Baltimore that the team is expecting he'll return today. And Carl, uh, we talked earlier this week on the podcast about what happened and, and uh, you know the Orioles' ridiculous decision to suspend him. Uh, we talked about the reaction from a lot of broadcasters. The broadcaster fraternity came out in droves for him. Uh, I, I would say this, you know, the, the sport, Sports Illustrated had an article. I can't remember who wrote it. Basically said that Kevin Brown is in a really tough spot as he comes back. Are you kidding? I think he's in a great spot. <laughs> he's been, you know, all of this is uh, has vindicated him and he's gotten such great support. I mentioned the podcast the other day. If I'm Kevin Brown with everything that's gone on, I'm telling the Orioles, uh, maybe through his agent, if he has one, I want an extension. And if that doesn't work out, and if you don't give me language protecting me from BS like this, you know what? I'm good. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the whole ordeal was a, you know, a disaster. As I said, I mean, they killed two birds with one stone, the Orioles. They, they took away from a great season and they knocked down a guy that is terrific at what he does, who is a good guy. I mean, we all work with him. He's a great guy. So it didn't, it didn't make any sense. And they seemed to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Everything was going so well. I'm not sure I understood any of it. I think, I think where, I, where the difficult part for him is going to come is the expectation, I think, of many of these bitter fans, rightfully so, is going to be like, well, I hope he goes on the air and absolutely eviscerates the Orioles. And I'm not certain that that's going to be part of the broadcast. I don't no. think he's, I don't think he's going to do any of that. And I think people are going to be like, well, wait a minute. Well, how do you, how dare you not say anything and all that. And that's, that's an unfair expectation to put on anybody. Um, and that, that may be where it's a difficult thing. Cause I think the expectation is going to be like, what the hell? Like, of course you should say something and you should blast them. And we we've seen what, forget blasting. We've seen what mentioning a re, a mere fact will, will get you. Um, I haven't been able to uncover anything beyond what everybody knows. Like he, he cited a fact that was produced by the crew and, and that was it. There's no, there doesn't appear to be a smoking gun anywhere. Um, and look, as you know, as great as he is and as great as many of the people are in our industry, there's still a, there's still a plethora of people that want to do it. So sure. He's, excellent at what he does and has the respect of, of myself and everybody else. But the idea that you're going to go in there and demand from an organization that seems to treat its broadcasters uh, as if they're disposable newspapers, that that's a, that's a difficult one too. I'm not sure the answer is going to be what he wants. Um, I mean, privately what you do is when somebody rebuffs you like that, you, you go out and seek other opportunities. And when they present themselves, you leave. I mean, that's, that's to me, the recourse, do your best while you're there. Uh, keep being the professional you are. And when the opportunity knocks, take it because you've been treated so poorly. Yeah. And I, I think Kevin will, will be in a good place as he starts today. I'm sure that uh, I agree with you. You don't come out and say, Hey, well, I was suspended and that was ridiculous. You don't air that dirty laundry in the midst of a game broadcast. Cause it's not, right. that's not the time or the place. I mean, at some point he wants to come on the podcast and talk about it. We could do that. Um, you know, I, I, I bet you in the back of his mind, he'll wonder if uh, it's just merely saying, well, the Orioles have one hit in the first five innings. They've been shut down by the opposing starting pitcher. Something benign like that. He might be going, huh, I wonder what the reaction is. <laughs> look, I, I, I would be inclined to be as objective and look, yes. they're very subjective, but I would be inclined to be as objective as possible. I'm interested if... Um, to see if Major League Baseball uh, had any private conversations with the, the man responsible for this, you know, horrifying decision. I, I, I'm curious if if you're objective and you mention that they're hitting, you know, X with runners in scoring position. They have a three-game losing streak. Exactly. <laughs> or whatever it is. If they're going to be as willing to, to hand out, you know, unnecessary punishment. I, I'm curious. I, I haven't found that out. I don't know if that's that's happened, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't some of that. Like, wait a minute, we're we're adjudicating people in the court of public opinion and taking them off the air because he said something which was a fact. Like that, that, that doesn't. They're like that's like this. They don't they don't mix. They don't. They're not in the same line. There's something screwy there. Carl, I told the story the other day how I was covering the Orioles when John Miller was essentially fired by yeah. the Orioles yeah. in 1996. It was right after the Orioles and Yankee series and the AL at ALCS. And I remember Peter saying to me, yeah, he should be rooting for the team. You know, he should be back supporting the team more. 
And and I went back and listened to the broadcast. And what John basically was doing during that series was, boy, the Yankees are a good team. Boy, that guy Jeter, he's what a good player. Like they're coming together. And there was no rooting. He was merely giving observations yeah. about the team. And, and that's the question, you know, will John Angelos recalibrate what he's listening to and understand, look, mere observations where you compliment the other team, which yeah. I think gives home broadcast credibility. Uh, that, 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 the, those are not grounds for firing someone. When I was driving across the country I was listening to Tom Hamilton's uh, call of the Guardians and Jay-Z the other day, and he was talking about Kevin Gossman and what a great pitcher he is. Is that something you can't say if you're on an Orioles broadcast because you might get fired? I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll find out from John Angelos as we go. And the other strange part of that, Buster, if you, you listen to it, it, he was complimenting the current edition of the Orioles. I mean, that's the, that was the strangest part of this. Is he's saying we weren't very good. The Rays were good. We had very little success. And by the way, this year we're having success. Things are going well. And you want to really extrapolate it. Angelos has hired the right people who have built the right franchise to now, using Peter Seidler's term, slay the dragon. Like, wait a minute. The Rays owned us. We are now showing that we're on the same field. This is a good thing. That's exactly right. Uh, all right, this weekend we got the Mets and the Braves, the, the two teams going in very different directions. Real quick, team in the National League that's the biggest threat to the Braves because they're right now they're clearly the number one team in the power rankings in baseball. I've got the yeah. Phillies. I still think yeah. the Phillies in a short series are incredibly dangerous for the Braves. What about you? Yeah, oh, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, Michael Lorenzen adds to that. That was another shrewd move, but we've seen – what they're capable of. And look, we, we do seem to be having a case of deja vu all over again. Turner had a good game the other day with a homer and a double. The fans have shown that they can, they can support a guy. We saw it last year with home. Uh, Turner expressed some vulnerability and recognized I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not good right now. I'm going to try to play my way out of this thing. They supported him. Uh, I would agree with that. I like, like I said, you know, this. I've had them as the team to beat the national league all year. And the Braves have absolutely outkicked the coverage for me. They've been so good. Uh, but, yeah, Philadelphia would be the team. It's not Los Angeles who got Kershaw back. Um, I just don't think that they're deep enough to compete with the Braves in a series. And I think that the Phillies, when they're right, are as good as any team in the National League. Yep. Uh, I agree 100%. All right. Uh, so this is what Max Scherzer told reporters after he was traded to the Texas Rangers about a conversation or conversations he had with Billy Epler and with owner Steve Cohen. I asked, you know, what, you know, kind of what's going on and what's our viewpoint of the deadline. And more importantly, what's the view for 2024? Um, and his answer was that uh, the team is now uh, kind of shifting vision and, and that uh, they're looking to compete uh, now for 2025 and 2026. Uh, and that, um, you know, 2024, there, it was not going to be a reload situation uh, in New York and that it was going to be more of a transition um, in 2024 and uh, that they're, you know, we're looking to, um, you know, make decisions you know, for uh, to compete outside my contract window. So, Carl, I've been doing some reporting on this, and I think that what Max heard and what was said were two very different things. You know, Max basically, uh, he was paraphrasing and basically said, yeah, the Mets, you know, they don't intend to compete as much in, in, uh, in 2024. In doing reporting on this, I think what was uh, meant to be conveyed to him was, 
look, we're not going to be as much of a preseason favorite in 24 as we were this year. And what was cited was all of the preseason projection systems and uh, ESPN rankings and that sort of thing. Because we all thought the Mets were going to be great. They won 101 games last year. They had Justin Verlander. And what was said to him is like, we're not going to be the big dogs coming in off of the offseason. In other words, there's not an expectation necessarily that they would uh, sign Shohei Otani, for example. But the idea that they're taking a huge step back and they're not going to try to compete in 2024, I think is wildly overstated. One of the reporters who covers the Mets sent out a tweet referring to a fire sale. And I'm looking around. I'm like, they're getting Edwin Diaz back. Uh, They have Pete Alonso. They have Francisco Lindor. They have all these players of accomplishment. There's no doubt that they need starting pitching. But from what I understand, they're going to be poking around, looking for potential value uh, in that marketplace. Like we saw this year, Cody Bellinger was signed by the Cubs. You know, they their feeling was, hey, we'll bet on the player when the number you know, the, the, on a low salary. If uh, if we have a good season, we'll keep him. Maybe we'll get some good production. If we don't have a good season, we could trade a midseason. I, I think that's what the Mets are going to do. I think they're going to use their money strategically. And the idea that 2024 is going to be just a down year. That's not what the Mets are thinking. What about you? Yeah, I, I would put the idea that they're not going to be competitive or attempt to be competitive uh, in the same lunacy as the Kevin Brown suspension from the Orioles. Like, right. That, that, that never made any sense to me. And you mentioned a whole bunch of guys are going to be there, and you didn't even mention Brandon Nimmo or Francisco Alvarez. Like, or the young players. And, and I'm sorry. The idea that there's not going to be some attempts, back-channel conversations between the Mets owner – and representatives for Shohei Otani, I don't believe that either. I absolutely think that that's going to be an opportunity that he is going to investigate. I think he has to investigate it. Um, Whether he ends up there is a very different story. But to suggest that they're not going to be uh, in some of these discussions, that that made no sense to me. So I'm glad that that your reporting has kind of flushed out that that wasn't the message. Um, And and I... I, (laughs) Whoever you spoke to to suggest that we may not be in those rankings, I, again, I think that's another TBD. Let, let's let's wait because you get into the moment and you get into a competition and you got a chance to get a guy and keep him away from another team. Let's see who's calling the shots there, not name Steve Cohen, and then what Steve Cohen's influence is going to be when it comes to, wait, we, we, we have the chance to get him? All right, let's try to get him too. I, I, I'm not ever going to suggest that the Mets are not going to be competitive whenever they want to be. And I think he wants to be. Right. And that he's going to use his money in surprising ways, which he did with Verlander and with Scherzer in the way that he ate so much of the money in order to get top prospects, essentially buying prospects from other teams. Going to talk in a second about uh, this upcoming free agent market. But before we get to that, I do want to touch on Aaron Boone getting ejected again. And you and I are in kind of a weird place when we talk about Aaron Boone and his ejections because we worked with him. He's a friend. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, what I've always struggled with in these situations is, boy, it's not like he's calling me and asking me what I think. And I would say this, because he's a friend, if he were to call me and say, hey, you know what, I've gotten tossed from a lot of games. What do you think? What do you hear? If he made that call, this is what I would tell him that 
he is developing a reputation among the umpires. Uh, and uh, th- what we saw the other night with Laz Diaz was the front wave of a pushback, which is not where you want to be. Uh, and and I, I mentioned the podcast the other day that, you know, he, he is the best mimic in baseball. And I know that firsthand because I have this funny walk and he imitates that. And every time I see him, he drops that on me. And I laugh every time he does one of the imitations. And I laughed when he did the Laz Diaz strike three call the other day uh, after he was ejected. And what I would say to him is, that's a little personal. And you probably, it's a bridge too far for a manager who's trying to advocate for his players. Like that is not something you want to see, especially when the umpires now really are beginning to feel like that Booney picks on them or goes after them in a way that uh, goes from contesting calls to mocking them openly. And what some of the umpires feel is, is that he has a habit the other night, notwithstanding, of going after younger umpires and picking on younger umpires. And what Laz Diaz was doing the other day was, I don't know if you saw the John Boy breakdown, he was saying back to him, what have you accomplished? What have you done? This was Laz Diaz seizing that opportunity with Booney to try to make a point to him that a lot of the umpires are trying to make. That is a place that Booney does not want to be. What do you think? Yeah, and that's that's a no-win position. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of layers there, and and our relationship is certainly a part of it. But I do think that Aaron would respect the ability to step away from the relationship and look at it objectively. And when I look at it objectively, I see a manager that's very frustrated, uh, whose team is underachieving, who, who whether he reads or listens or any of that, knows that his name is, is being bantied about as, as being responsible in, in, and slice the pie any way you want. But for a large percentage of the pie, you're responsible for this team's lack of success. So I think, I think that's what's at the root of all of it is this incredible frustration. You know, he does the same imitations of me walking as he does you, and I laugh at that. I will say that yeah. I had a different reaction to the last Diaz impersonation, um, and I trust my internal radar. I was like, oh, no. Like, I, I did not have the, huh, that's really funny. I was more of like, come on, man. Like, that's, you do that in a green room when you're at ESPN. You want to imitate umpires, ejection calls, strike three calls, whatever you want, but on a national stage like that in front of the guy, like I, I did not, I said, Nope, that's, that's like, that's not funny. Um, and I think he is a very funny guy and I, he's personable and I have a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, affection for him, but I just, it just feels to me like the walls have been closing in on him all year. Um, and I think his, his tone has changed and it looked, I understand it. This is incredibly frustrating. Uh, because I think a lot of the decisions he makes are fairly sound decisions and they haven't worked out and your team is banged up. And many of the decisions that have led us, the Yankees, into this position, we collectively haven't put our best foot forward with some of the decisions we've made on personnel. And you can only do so much as a manager. As I've said before, I never give too much credit or too much blame to a manager, uh, but they are clearly the guy that's in the crosshairs when the team that's supposed to do better underachieves. And I think that's, that's the feeling I get 
without even having a conversation about how you doing uh, from from Aaron. And look, I'll say this. I, I felt that from Alex Cora at points during this year. Yeah. A heightened level of frustration. I've seen it from Buck Showalter at different times. Like, this isn't the guy that I got a chance to know. And when we got to know him, the pressure of, of the environments they're in now didn't exist. It does now. And we all react differently. And I think the three of them have a tremendous ability to deal with that stuff. But look, at some point, they're human. And they're, they're going to they're gonna have a bad day or a bad week. I just think it's, it's run on a long time for, uh, for Booney and the Yankees. And I think it just feels like it's all kind of coming down. And this is the manifestation is the ejections. And the Red Sox, Yankees, and Angels, three teams we talked a lot about the trade deadline as of this morning, are four, five, and six and a half games out in the wild card race. So it, uh, it's not trending in the right direction. All right, before you go, uh, we got this question, a bleacher tweet from Jeremiah Avise Rouse. And Jeremiah, if I mispronounce your name, I apologize. He asked, can you go through the top five free agents this winter and where you think they land? Uh, and Carl, that led me to remembering a, a, a conversation I had on K-Rod the other night when I broke away from our broadcast for an inning. And one of the things I said was that I was hearing a lot from agents about this winter's spending, that they were kind of cringing because they're seeing all these teams that went all in. We talked about the Mets, the Padres, all the teams that spend huge on those shortstops. And it feels like across the board, <laughs> it hasn't worked out. And so some of the agents I've been talking with are like, oh boy, like it's going to get real cold this winter. There's going to be a rollback with some of the numbers, which by the way, generally reflects the ebbs and flows coming off CBAs. Like once the, uh, the, uh, uh, the collective bargaining agreement signed. Typically, there's a year or two of big spending, and then it kind of trends down for a couple of years until there's another agreement. And so this will be the, I guess, uh, you know, I guess call it the second full off season since the last CBA. So that would, if there is a rollback, that would be in keeping with past trends. Well, after I said that on air, I got a text message from one Scott Boris, super agent, who, as you know, never believes that uh, the spending is going to be rolled back. And then what he wrote was, uh, do not know what agents are telling you. This is nonsense. The balance that is needed is the common, quote unquote, transition tax that is associated with signing major free agents. No mention of this. Seeger, Simeon, Machado, Lindor, Harper, Castellanos, all great years after less than standard first years. So he went on and he basically was saying, look, this is not going to be the case. I, I don't know, but I know a lot of his peers are sort of bracing themselves for a different perspective. And I think this, Carl, potentially can manifest, especially with the pitchers, because we've seen so many injuries and so many pitching contracts lately that have not worked out. Uh, you know, Verlander missed the beginning of the year. We see Max Scherzer struggle for some of this year. Carlos Rodon signed with the Yankees. That looks like in the first year a total disaster. And I must say, I've never heard of a team – uh, that has said, yeah, we expect a transition year and the player might struggle. No, teams, when they sign these Whopper deals, they want big-time production right out of the gate with the assumption that later in the contract you may, uh, may see less. Let's go through the free agent class uh, and just get some perspective from you on what you think is to come this winter. Because the best guys that I've identified, Josh Hader, the closer for the San Diego Padres, 0.86 ERA, 17 hits allowed in 41 two-thirds innings. Marcus Stroman, 
uh, who can opt out of his deal when the season is done. And I would expect that's going to be the case. Julio Arias, who's a Boris client. Carly's just 27 years old. He's pitched better of late. I think people, generally speaking, would say that he probably is not in optimal condition. And that's something that'll be worked on going forward. Another Boris client, Cody Bellinger. Uh, he's hitting 327. He's learned something about his swing. He's just 28 years old, $17.5 million mutual option. I think you and I know he's not going to pick up that option because he's had a phenomenal year. And of course, the big dog, Shohei Otani. So give me some impressions that you have coming off this year with those names and where you think they might land. All right. Um, there's a, I would say this, I, I, I don't, I have never seen owners be able to control themselves. So there's a part of me that understands where Scott's coming from. And I do think there'll be owners that do spend a lot of money. I, that's like, a, to me, that's a given. It may not be as many bidding. I don't know, but I think that there's still owners that are going to spend a lot of money. So uh, let's, let's start with, um, let's start with Otani. Um, I think, I think Shohei Otani, the, the leading candidate for me are the Dodgers. I think they've spent the way that they have because they're saving money for them. I don't think that they're intimidated by this idea um, that you, you, you sort of sacrifice certain things by having him, six-man rotations, et cetera. He's the DH, et cetera, when he's not pitching. I, I think they believe, and Dave Roberts believes, they'll find a way. You know, I know you know this, but quickly, for people that – are at home and don't see the meetings we have with managers. Our coworker Eduardo Perez is kind of running this informal survey when he asked managers, if you had one player in major league baseball to build around, who would it be? Um, I think he leans sometimes against it being Shohei Otani because Otani does require a six man rotation. He takes away the DH because he is the DH. And as you like to say, there currently exists in Los Angeles with the Angels this, this autonomy thing. Um, I think the Dodgers feel like they can deal with that. I think he ends up there. I think the way you have to look at these other guys, Buster, are the teams that, that are on the rise, the teams that are doing better. I think the Chicago Cubs would be very interested in a guy like Josh Hader. Um, I, I think that the Cubs, after this year, have taken on such a big charge that they now are in that position to add to it. Uh, and I think the closer, as we saw with the Mets, is critical. So I think Hayter, let's say, goes to the Chicago Cubs. Bellinger could stay with the Cubs or go to the New York Yankees. I, I think that's a real thing. Um, they, they need to get more athletic. They need a left-handed bat always. And they need to get younger. Um, He's 28. Yeah, and that's part of the athletic. They need to get younger and they need to be more athletic. I think he goes to the Yankees. Um, who were the other two guys you had brought up in the beginning? Arias. Yeah. I don't I mean, see every, the Dodgers signing Otani and Arias. I agree. I agree. And I think anybody, um, anybody Giants, would maybe. be in the market. Giants, maybe. Um, Seattle, maybe. Arizona, maybe. I, I, again, these teams that this year, and I wouldn't count Texas out of anything. I think the Rangers are in that mindset of we're close. Let's Whatever keep going. Whatever it takes. Yeah, I don't think that the Astros would be there because I think they, you know, as good as they are, they're not going to add like that. And beyond Orius, who was the fifth one? Uh, well, I mentioned Stroman. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, he's, yeah. And Stroman's great. And I think Stroman, the, the credibility for Stroman, um, and if the Otani thing falls through, uh, you know, he could end up on the West Coast. I, I think Stroman has proven in a market, in a big market, we've seen what he could do in, 
in Chicago. We've seen his ability in New York a little bit. I, I, I love his competitiveness. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in on Stroman. I think he ends up on one of those teams that believe they are, they're on the cusp. He could end up back at City Field. I mean, I, you know, I, they're going to have to make some pitching moves for sure. He could end up there too. Yeah, one thing about Stroman that I hear from teams all the time, and I think that his recent slide is, has uh, uh, absolutely fed into this, is the question of his durability, long-term durability, mm-hmm. which is funny because over the course of his career, he's generally been durable. He's generally taken the ball. But when you're, you know, and I, I can't remember what his, his exact height and weight listed, but when you're 5'9 and, you know, 180 pounds, teams are going to always have those questions, especially about starting pitchers. So he's swimming upstream against that. Josh Hader, I think, is going to be an interesting test of what you and I talked about, uh, you know, what Scott Boris can test about whether or not there's going to be a big rollback in salaries because we've seen relievers, short relievers, uh, who have, you know, Montero of the Astros comes to mind. He got a big contract with Houston. He's been a mess this year. I'm going to be curious to see if a team steps out and gives Hader a deal comparable to what Diaz got with the Mets, $100 million. Because, boy, uh, and you're right, all it takes is one owner. You know, maybe the Texas Rangers this winter say, you know what, we love Josh Hader, uh, you know, left-hander, dominant. We're going to invest in that guy. Uh, It it is going to be an interesting free agent class. And, of course, we're going to be talking about Shohei Otani just about every day. All right, Carl, thanks for doing this. All right, we'll miss you this week. We'll see you in Williamsport. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing on this Friday? I'm doing great, Foster. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, yesterday, you were on the conference call, the Zoom prep, prep call for Sunday Night Baseball this week, and a lot of conversation about the Braves and their lineup and all the power they have. Uh, I was mentioning with Carl, I think there's no doubt, like the number one team in the power rankings but in your eyes, which team in the National League is the most dangerous for the Atlanta Braves? You know, it's interesting. I mean, 
I think their biggest weakness, and we saw it again yesterday, is the pitching. Yep. They have the fourth worst ERA in baseball since the All-Star break. We've seen it kind of starting to crumble. And with that, I almost wonder if the answer is the Phillies, not the Dodgers, because the Braves and Dodgers are almost equal in that they have these great lineups and questionable pitching. Dodgers got Kershaw back last night. He looked great. That's a huge, huge, uh, you know, boon for them, very similar to the Braves getting back Max Freed. But I do wonder overall about the pitching. And then I look at the Phillies who got Michael Lorenzen, the deadline, all he's done is go eight innings and then throw a no-hitter. Aaron Noel looked much better yesterday than he had in a while. Their bullpen has been a bit more reliable than the Braves has been. So I wonder almost if it is the Phillies. I completely agree with you. <laughs> That's exactly what I said to Carl. I just I think in a short series, especially with Lorenzen added now to the other members of the rotation, that is a really interesting team in a short series, especially if you know it turns out that the Phillies fans did lift Trey Turner out of the spunk. Which oh my is, uh, gosh. Did one of the cooler stories. What I mean, I know you love those type of stories, Sarah. <laughs> what did you see in all that? I do. I mean, I love the ovations. I love that we know Phillies fans can have an edge. And I love that the approach was let's lift him up, let's donate money to a charity he likes, let's do all of that. And then he starts playing better and he takes up the billboard. I saw him uh, post-game talking to Tom McCarthy and Crocky last night. He was the post-game interview and they asked him about it. And he just said, yeah, I felt like I should do something to thank them. It's just another example of why it was a great idea for him to sign there. He gets the fan base and it was just so perfect. I wouldn't wish those struggles on him, but he dealt with it so well. And it just endears him even more. No doubt about it. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is six. So speaking of the Phillies, they had a couple of really exciting things happen on Wednesday. The first of which was Weston Wilson, a guy who had played a long time in the minors. He's 28 years old, over 2,800 minor league plate appearances. Comes up in his first career at bat, hits a home run. He was the sixth guy in Philly's history to do that, joining Marlon Anderson in 1998, Ricky Jordan in 1988, Ed Sinicki in 1949, uh, Heine Mueller in 1938, and Bill Duggleby in 1898. And this is why I love the Phillies. They've been around long enough that we have a guy from 1898 named Bill Duggleby who leads this list. It's been an amazing moment. His family was there. His father was crying. And that gets into uh, the next number. Number two. So number two has to be about Michael Lorenzen. So it is five. So speaking of families that were emotional in the stands, Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter in his home debut 
in front of not just his new fan base, but his mother, his wife, his little baby girl who was not crying with all of the uh, cheering and everything, which was incredible, an amazing moment. So the five is four. He became the fifth pitcher to throw a no-hitter in his first home game with a franchise. The last time it happened was in 1960, and it was Don Cardwell with the Cubs. Cardwell had been traded from the Phillies two days prior, and then everyone else to do it was before 1900. We had Jay Hughes in 1898. Mumpish Jones in 1892, and you know this stat is good. We have Bumpish Jones on the list, and then Ed Cushman in 1884. Michael Aranson really endearing himself to Phillies fans. Number one. Number one is 10. So Shohei Otani got his 10th win the season. I believe that was. Uh, also on Wednesday, as we've established, I have no sense of time. I think <laughs> it was Wednesday. <laughs> but he got his 10th of the season uh, in the game against the Giants. He already has 40 home runs. He is the first guy ever to have 40 homers and 10 wins in a season. But, I mean, I feel like that's almost too restrictive. He is the only guy ever to have 15 home runs and 10 wins in this season. He also did last year with 34 home runs. So the most home, the next most home runs hit in this season by anyone to win 10 games as a pitcher, not named Shohei Otani, is 11 by Babe Ruth in 1918. 11 home runs and 13 wins for him in 1918. So everybody's talking about, oh, he's the first with 40 and 10. He's the first with 15 and 10. And I think that's important context. So with Shane McClanahan going down with the elbow injury and uh, perhaps headed to Tommy John surgery, I think that shakes up the American League Cy Young Award conversation. Right now, Sarah, I got uh, your guy, Garrett Cole, is probably the, the strong front runner for that award. What do you think? I agree. You know, I mean, it's so upsetting to see that happen to Shane McClanahan having such a great season and really concerning for the Rays with how they're pitching and their season has gone since that amazing start. But I will say when he went down, I was sitting here thinking, oh, wow, I think that's Garrett Coles. And, yeah, I mean, I certainly won't be upset if he wins the Cy Young. And I can say with the only one on our MLB Network panel who had this year's Cy Young in her top 10 starting pitchers. So we'll see what happens. But he has been absolutely the bright spot for the Yankees over the course of the season with a lot of ups and downs. All right. You know I'm going on vacation, so I appreciate you filling in as host on Monday's podcast. Absolutely. I can't wait. I really, really appreciate being asked. And I hope you enjoyed the vacation. And I hope that Quinny, the wonderful pup, enjoys it as well. Oh, my gosh. She is going to be one with the water uh, during the whole vacation. All right, Sarah, uh, I will talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Buster. Todd Radom. 
is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing on this Friday? Good morning, Buster. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, Taylor is not here, and I think you had something to do with that. You know, he he got buried. Uh, he got buried uh, in the, your quiz. He wound up having to, you know, the Yankee cap and that whole thing. And I think that level of frustration caused him to skip this, your segment specifically. What, to, what do you think about that theory? Humiliation is a very, very powerful thing, Buster. And I think you could well be right. After his home field advantage in Baltimore, I mean, look what's transpired since. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And part of our mission today is to make fun of Taylor, no question. All right. Well, you know what? You get first shot. You just did, Sarah, at some point, you and Bruce can chime in, maybe when we're doing Bleacher Tweets uh, or when we do the quiz, because Bruce is stepping in for Taylor on, on this week's quiz. Before we get to that, let's uh, hear about this week's Forgotten Field. So, Buster, the Boston Red Sox have played at fabled Fenway Park since 1912. But before that, they started their history at the Huntington Avenue grounds across the New York, New Haven and Hartford Railroad tracks from the South End grounds which was then home to Boston's National League club, now the Atlanta Braves. Huntington Avenue Grounds was an intimate facility, primarily made of wood, and constructed at a cost of $35,000 on the site of a lot that had previously hosted carnivals and traveling circuses. This is where Buffalo Bill's Traveling Wild West show performed when they visited Boston in the late 19th century. The site had been known as the Huntington Avenue Shoots, and was described as Boston's favorite pleasure grounds, where patrons could shoot the rapids into an artificial lake, visit an ostrich farm, ride donkeys and ponies, and listen to live music. Throughout its history as a ballpark, there are areas in the outfield that were subpar at best, with sandy spots where grass couldn't grow and what were described as hip-high weeds. There was even a large tool shed located in center field, Buster. This was in play. But that didn't seem to be an issue. Why? The original dimensions were a cavernous 530 feet to center field. But that was changed in 1908 to an even more cavernous 635 feet, or a little more than twice the distance from today's green monster in left to home plate. On March 7th, 1901, a crowd of some 300 diehards braved a cold west wind to witness the groundbreaking for the new ballpark. Fireworks were set off in a big basin, which had previously been used as a skating rink, and a lunch and champagne toasts followed. Construction took only a couple of months, and the Red Sox, and known as the Boston Americans, inaugurated the park on May 8, 1901, when Cy Young and teammates defeated the Philadelphia Athletics by a score of 12-4. to A huge crowd of 11,000 fans filled the place which included spectators on the diamond behind ropes in both right and left fields. Huntington Avenue Grounds hosted the first modern World Series in its third year, 1903. Boston beat the Pittsburgh Pirates in a best-of-nine series, winning the championship on October 13, 1903. In Game 8, the Bucks' Honus Wagner struck out to end the series. Cy Young tossed a perfect game there on May 5, 1904, a 3-0 whitewashing of Philadelphia. The team, which took on the name Red Sox in 1908, had a decision to make as the 1911 season concluded. The lease on Huntington Avenue was expiring, and opportunities awaited in Boston's Fenway neighborhood. 
The team played their final game at Huntington Avenue grounds on October 7th, 1911, an 8-1 win over Washington, and the ballpark was raised soon thereafter. Northeastern University later acquired the site, and in 1954, they built the Cabot Center, an indoor athletic facility atop where the first modern World Series was contested. There's a statue of Cy Young there, along with a commemorative plaque. So go there and imagine seeing a game at the Huntington Avenue grounds, the first home of the Boston Red Sox, which is this week's forgotten field. Yeah, I think that you and I at some point, Todd, if we find ourselves in Boston at the same time, that'd be fun to go and visit, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's really pretty cool. It's very easy to get to. Um, you could actually walk from there to Fenway. Um, talk about history, Boston history, and Buster. It's kind of amazing in researching this. The Red Sox have only played in two stadiums over the course of their 120-some-odd-year wow. history. Yeah, that 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 is pretty amazing. Like that that much continuity, and with no end in sight, by the way. Uh, so that uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Maybe that's the next get together that we have as a as a staff. You know, this year it was Baltimore. Maybe next year it's up in Boston. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, so here's a question before we uh, we we dive in. Here is is Bruce's answer. A a one off, or does this count toward Taylor's score? No, it counts for Taylor. Okay, and Bruce. That means you can you can slam dunk on him if you get it right and say, "Hey, I propped you up." And if you get it wrong, you could say, "Hey, dude, you 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 put me in a terrible situation." Thanks a lot. It's not on my record. It's on yours. Or you could sabotage. Yeah, it'd be, it's it's his fault that he's not here, right? I mean, I'm hey, taking right. you down. I'm taking you down. <laughs> Fair enough. That's it. The win win for me. <laughs> well, ready or not, here we go. Which one of these events took place more recently than the last time the Minnesota Twins won a postseason game? Was it A, the Raiders played in the Super Bowl? Was it B, Barack Obama was first elected to the United States Senate from Illinois? Was it C, the Montreal Expos played their final ever game? Or was it D, the iPod was introduced? Which one of these events took place more recently than the last time the Twins won a postseason game? The Raiders played in the Super Bowl. Obama was first elected to the U.S. Senate. The Expos played their final ever game, or the iPod was introduced. Wow. All right, Bruce, you want to give it a shot? I think I'm going to go with D the, when the iPod was invented. Sarah? Oh, that was going to be my answer, but I think I'm going to go A now. Switch it up. Okay. I'm Because it's the, the one in the four – answers that's based directly baseball related with the expos i think that that's what i'm going to go with c well you're all wrong because (laughs) (laughs) the minnesota twins played their final postseason game on october the 5th 2004 barack obama was first elected to the senate on november 2nd of that year raiders played in the super bowl in january 03 the ipod in 01 the Montreal Expos played their final game at Shea Stadium. I was there on October 3rd, 2004. So, wow. You're all losers. It's funny because if I had, I would have gone with Obama. That that was my, but I, you know, I second guess myself constantly. So, all all anyway. the time. It's a continuing theme, Buster. I'm, I mean, you should rethink your strategy here. Well, I'm in first place. And it's Taylor's true. last. And that's what's important. <laughs> the Taylor's in last. Yeah, Bruce, you did your job. You sabotaged him. Yes, so, thanks, Bruce. Yes. It's a pleasure to help out. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. 
All right, guys. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. Before we get started on Bleacher Tweets, we have to throw a shout out to Taylor, who is on vacation right now. Um, He is an amazing producer. We had a slight scheduling mishap, but you know, he's the best still. So he said we could shame him publicly, but we're also going to give him a little bit of props because it's been a very crazy week. So Taylor, if you're listening, shout out. Bruce, so Todd made it clear, like this was going to be an opportunity to rip Taylor (laughs) and Sarah just whiffed on it right there. So I, I need you to step up your game here and let's go. Let's Let's make fun of it. Take this opportunity to make fun of Taylor when he's not producing. Uh, I mean, I don't blame him for taking some days off because who doesn't enjoy a good day off themselves? But uh, I mean, with how, how well the Orioles are doing and how they destroyed my Mets during that series a little bit, I mean, I'll take any shot I can. Yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah, I would say this. He, he He's on vacation, it feels like, every other week, right? Yeah. You know? It's summertime. It's summertime. It's the time for vacay. <laughs> I can't argue with that. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, we did, as we documented at the top of the show, we did podcasts from the San Diego airport and then a Minnesota rest stop and now in New York and Taylor is taking days off. What's up with that? All right. So we took a shot at him. Let's uh, do the bleacher tweets. All right. Our first one comes from Steven Shulman. I understand that the Astros are the champs and very good, but where's the love for the Rangers? They have outscored Houston by 102 runs and given up two fewer, struggling through injuries to DeGrom, Seager, Evaldi. Yeah, and from uh, what Josh Young told reporters uh, yesterday, he's hoping to be back by the end of the year. Um, That would be amazing if he could come back that quickly from a thumb injury, and we'll see how effective he's going to be. They have been absolutely hammered with injuries, and yet as we – Talk today, they're two and a half games ahead of the Astros. They're five and a half games ahead of the Seattle Mariners who are on rushing. Seven straight wins for Seattle. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that division plays out. And, and I would say we've talked all year because we had the Rangers in our first Sunday night broadcast. We've talked all year about the potency of the Rangers. And Bruce Bochy's like a friend of the show because he's a friend of Sarah Lang's. Up next is be good to each other based on Cy Young voting and ignoring Max Freed due to limited starts. Five of the six pitchers who finished top three in 2022 have a four plus ERA in 2023. Are these casualties of the pitch clock? I don't think so. Uh, I think that they are all different cases. I know there's some people who feel like the pitch clock has contributed injuries. And yeah, I do think that's possible. But Alec Manoa, from what I understand from other teams, they felt like that there was an erosion that was beginning to show at the end of last year. Sandy Alcantara, we had Skip Schumacher on the podcast earlier uh, this season, and he talked about the WBC. And he's not the only one who feels that way, that a lot of the players who were in the WBC, they felt like were sort of their their normal preparation was set aside. Uh, Julio Arias, I mentioned to Carl, I, I remember being around the Dodge for the first time. I was like, ooh, he's not in the best shape. Going into his free agent year, and I think as the season gone, has gone along, you know, he's uh, he's been pitching his way back into shape. So I think different reasons for different pitchers. And our last one is another one from Be Good to Each Other. Two seed gets central winner or six seed. One seed gets four versus five. Right now in NL, that would be Brewers Marlins for the Dodgers, Phillies Giants for the Braves. Seems to favor the two seed again this year. Should this be tweaked? Um. 
No, because I just, whatever system you come up with, although I would say, here's the tweak that they actually talked about doing a few years ago, and I think this would be phenomenal in what great television. I think they should come up with a system where the teams pick who they play. So can you imagine Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager of the Braves on a national TV show saying, yes, we're picking this team to play in the first round. We're picking this bracket and let him. I, I think that would add so much juice to this where like if let's say, for example, and I'm just pulling teams out. I don't know what Alex actually would think is the number one seed. But imagine if you were to go, you know what? We, we take the winner of the Marlins against the Brewers and you let him set his side of the bracket. There would be so much juice in that, you know, and uh, and then and then let the uh, let the the general manager of the two seed set the home team with the other bracket or something like that. I just like the idea of putting everyone in an uncomfortable position of saying out loud who they'd rather play. Ooh, and that would make it so spicy too. Because oh man, wait, I love that. Let's get some cameras in there. Let's make yes. this happen. And have a show like an NCAA selection show where you actually hear from the teams who they'd rather play. Bruce, what do you think? I remember the the talk about that before. And I always thought it made sense because like, oh, you say someone says they don't want to play the Yankees. Yankees get through or the Mets or whoever gets through. And then they have to play and it's just the storylines are even better. And you got some real animosity between the team. Like, oh, they're trying to duck us. We finally got them. Let's beat them now. Yeah, exactly. No, it would be fun. It's sort of like. You know, with the uh, the NBA All-Stars, I love that they where they pick the teams. Exactly. You know, yes. and they have to do that out front. And the guy who's picked last, is, you know, has to hear LeBron James go, and my man, yep. <laughs> my man, Bruce Baldwin, who I love, who I waited to pick, uh, you know, I got him last on the team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. That's it for this week. Uh, my thanks to Carl, Sarah, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. We'll say thanks to Taylor one more time. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Bye.